Well, thank you for taking a few moments to honor our graduating seniors. Uh, my name is Danny Sugimoto. I'm the middle school pastor here. Uh, and Moj and I, we did a lot of work in our office. Uh, our office, as I talked about a couple weeks ago, is a cave. Uh, but because it's a cave, we get a lot of hours and a lot of minutes to work together, and no one knows that we're actually in our office. Uh, so we spent several, several moments this week and last week uh, trying to put together what we imagine to be like the perfect Youth Sunday service. Uh, and so we wanted to make sure that we honored our students. This is low. Oh, I got taller. Look at that. Dude, this God is answers high. prayers. God Man. answers prayers, indeed. Uh, Answer mine. <laughs> but hey, that's uh, not fair. Sorry, man. Uh, we've put a lot of time into this, and, and uh, we're very excited to share with you this morning. We wanted to honor our students, and what better way to kick off uh, a service than to think about the season of time we're in. It's graduation season. It's, it's promotion season. And so when we put our heads together, I went online, and I did some research, and I ended up finding uh, a speech that was written uh, about 2,000 years ago. Uh, so if, if you don't mind, I would, I would love to read it to you. Is that, is that okay? Can I do that? I was going to do it anyway, so... <laughs> Here we go. Dear class of 30 AD, we did it. We've made it. For most of our childhood, we were told that we weren't good enough, that we didn't have the skills or the knowledge needed to reach this point in our lives. We were told that some of our ideas were too radical, that our personalities were untrustworthy, and that some of us were too impulsive and hot-headed to do anything of significance. Yet, here we are. We have left our mark on this community. We have dared to live our dreams, and those dreams have been fulfilled in this moment. We've been chosen. We've been sought out. We've been accepted into the inner circle of a new kind of teacher. But for now, here, in this moment, we get to celebrate the fact that we have made it. So, congratulations, class of 30 AD. Now, what you've heard is obviously fictitious. Uh, this isn't some valedictorian speech that uh, I found that's 2,000 years old. In fact, uh, I wrote this in my office in our dark little cave uh, last week. It took me a surprising amount of time, actually. Uh, <laughs> it took me very long. Uh, but I wrote it in my, my office. And for the last several weeks, we have been walking through a series called Lies We Believe, where we've tried to reveal the truth that so often gets buried beneath the surface. And the reason why we've been uh, pursuing truth comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 5. It says, we demolish, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so the reason why we're pursuing this truth is because we want to eliminate the things that set themselves up against the knowledge of God, the things that uh, set themselves up against learning who God is and developing a relationship with God. And so as Mojo and I were planning this message that would serve both you, our, our congregants, our attendees, uh, but also our students, we wanted to address three things that we've noticed just about culture at large. And so the first thing we've noticed, this first lie that people tend to believe, uh, is this. It's you've arrived. You've arrived. And typically, this is something that pops into our head when we're transitioning from one stage of life to the next, at promotions or at graduations, when you're on the verge of retirement or buying your first home, entering a new romantic relationship or having your first child. 
And as we prepare to enter into these stages, there's a habit for us to think, oh, well, once I do this, then everything's set. Once I, once I leave middle school, because it's awful, uh, and I go to high school, life will be better, because high school is amazing. Oh, once I graduate from high school, which has been the worst four years of my life, I'll go to college, where I'm an adult, and I can do my own thing, and life will be good. Once I graduate from college, and I have hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loan debt, uh, I, I'll get a job in my career field, uh, and life will be good. Once I have this, once I have that, we have these moments where we think things will get settled. But the truth is, Every arrival, every arrival is the chance for new growth. Once you enter into that new stage of life, when you have that arrival moment, then you, then you know there's an opportunity for further progress and further growth. And one of the, the examples that we're going to be looking at this morning, it comes to us in the form of the 12 disciples who probably would have written a valedictorian speech. In ancient Jewish culture, uh, it appears that rabbis and their followers are some of the most respected members of society. These rabbis were people that were sought out for, for their advice, for their knowledge of scripture. And so if you could become the student of a rabbi, then you had an opportunity to live a pretty good life. You would be respected. You could have some type of authority. And so when Jesus calls his 12 disciples to come and follow him, which is language that a rabbi would use when he's calling a student, these disciples are probably on top of the world. They had fulfilled their dreams. No longer did they have to worry about working in the family business and going out in the early mornings to catch fish or having to cover up the blisters as they built tents. Instead, they could now move from town to town and learn from a rabbi, and, and be treated with respect, be treated with authority. And so these 12 disciples, they felt like they had made it. They felt like they had arrived, and that the world was now theirs for the taking. But we know that this isn't necessarily the case. We know that there was so much for them to learn. I mean, they're learning from Jesus. And we find out that, that status doesn't, doesn't actually mean anything. That having the title doesn't mean that they've been appropriately equipped for this role. And so we watch this happen with the disciples in Mark chapter 10. Mark Chen. Mark, Mark Chen. Mark 10. I know Mark Chen. <laughs> but they've been handpicked by Jesus. They have the title of students. They're in a new phase of life, and they're filled with excitement and anticipation. They've watched Jesus heal and perform several miracles, and they've heard him speak and teach with authority. But then in Mark 10, Jesus tells his disciples, for a third time actually, he tells his disciples for a third time, that he is going to die. That at some point, he, he's no longer going to be walking physically on this earth. At some point, the disciples won't be able to poke him and say, hey Jesus, we've got a question. At some point, he's going to die, and he's going to leave, and the disciples will be on their own. And immediately following Jesus, saying this, for the third time, we have this in Mark 10, verse 35. It says, then... James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What is it you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. So Jesus says, I'm going to die. I'm going to leave. I'm going to depart from this place, uh, but someday I will rise again. And the disciples completely neglect this. They hear, okay, cool, uh, but here, we've got like a real pressing question. 
We want to know which one of us can sit in the places of glory. When you come into your kingdom, when you inherit your kingdom, when you have the seat of power, which one of us can sit at your right and left? Can can one of us do it? Is that cool? They completely miss the point of what Jesus is trying to show them. And so they might have arrived in the sense that they are now students of a disciple, rabbi, that they have this fancy title. They might have arrived in the sense that they're now followers of Jesus. They're part of this tightly knit group of people following Jesus. But they are missing out on several opportunities, several chances to continue their growth, to continue to move forward, and to continue to move towards the people that Jesus is calling them to be. Their faith and knowledge of who God is wasn't perfected in them achieving the title. But instead, Jesus has now invited them to step into a role where their development can continue over time because they're called to continue to grow, to continue to change, to continue to work hard because a faith that isn't being worked on is a faith that is dying. And so the disciples, as followers of Jesus, like many of us in this room, are called into a position to begin growing. But this isn't the only lie the disciples and we can get caught up in. And so Danny mentioned these arrival moments, and you could look at them as points of transition or these pinnacle moments uh, when you look around and say, man, we're here. We're finally here. Whether it be the job that you always wanted, a relationship that is ending or starting. Maybe for some of you, it's retirement. Maybe 65 and a half years old is the number that you are fighting to get to. Or very fittingly, maybe graduation is this pinnacle moment, this arrival moment for you. And sometimes I find that we can fixate on or hold on to these moments with such high expectation that it leads us into our second lie. And that... If I don't have these arrival moments, I'm not living a fulfilling life. I mean, let's be honest, it's easy to look around the room and compare yourself to your friends or people in similar life stages. You can look and say, man, this person has been promoted three times already. We're about the same age, and I haven't been. Where is this arrival moment for me? I remember when I graduated from college at 22, And one of my best friends, Brett, got a job with an engineering firm in El Segundo, full-time, with benefits, right out of the gate. And me, realizing I'm not going to my field of study, and I have student loans, but I'm going to try to make it by and take four part-time jobs, three of which have nothing to do with what I'm interested in. And I looked at Brett, and I looked at me, and I said, man... How is it that he has this and I don't? I feel behind. I feel like life has passed me by. I feel like I won't be able to live as happily as Brett does because he's made it. And I have yet to. Maybe it's for how fast you finish school, students, when you think about college or eighth graders when you test up. Or maybe um, for us, it's in our spiritual life. Maybe it's, man, this person is a prayer warrior, and I wish I had that. But it seems like when I pray, I hear silence. 
or I'm not able to discern a response. It seems like God is quiet. Where is that for me? Maybe it's someone who is in a season where scripture is just coming alive and the words are just jumping off the page and it's a fruitful time and you look and say, where is that for me? It just seems like the same thing over and over again. Maybe it's truths that you're wrestling with and other people are making breakthroughs and paradigm shifts are happening and all of a sudden life looks different for this person but you're sitting here saying, man, we're in the same stage, but I'm not feeling that. I don't understand. You know, I moved out here in January, and what I've received is nothing short of an amazing welcome. I felt so loved and supported and welcomed here. Um, even when I'm asking you what your name is for the fourth or fifth time, you're not offended. Uh, thanks for understanding that I've met a lot of people here in the, in the first six months. Um, and I felt this overwhelming amount of support, whether it be from students or adults and this or that in different ministries or just congregants. And, and what I found as you're trying to get to know me and you're, getting, you're getting, getting to know my story and asking about me is that two typical questions will come up. And I just want to tell you, they have not once offended me. And, and, and it's to be expected because you want to get to know me. But the two questions I found um, that I get asked a lot are, are you married or do you have kids? And I look around at the scope and the landscape of Sunridge, and I look at the other pastors on staff, and I realize the answer is no, I'm not. My experience is just a little tad bit different than everyone else. I don't have a three-month-old who spits up on me and has <laughs> the most beautiful blue eyes that will melt the most heart, uh, coldest heart of stone uh, to just, just, it just, oh my gosh, just take a look at Theo, all right, after the service. Theo, you have a fan club. Um, and I don't sit here to tell you, man, I've overcome something or it's a deficiency, but rather, man, you could look at someone else in your similar stage of life and say, I stick out like no one else. I'm a little different and it could force you or it could let yourself fall, you could let yourself fall into a place where you feel maybe embarrassed, maybe you feel um, out of place or even envy, maybe you feel hopeless. But that's where we find ourselves in our second truth, which is be grounded in presence. Be grounded in presence. And what that means, or what we're looking at when we, when we say be grounded in presence, uh, if we turn back a chapter in Mark 9, verses 14 through 32, we find that the disciples are doing ministry in a town. And Jesus is coming back down from the transfiguration, and he meets up with his disciples. And that there's a large commotion and argument around them. And Jesus is coming and saying, what's going on? Why the arguments? And this man has brought his child who is possessed by an evil spirit and has asked the, 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 the disciples, golly, that will go on my performance review and I'll try to do better. <laughs> That's an easy one to do better in. They'll ask, he asks, asks the disciples, can you drive out this evil spirit? And Jesus says, uh, and, and Jesus asks, what's going on? And, and the man says, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So Jesus proceeds to go about and drive out this evil spirit. And afterwards, the disciples pull Jesus aside in private and ask. After Jesus, uh, it was, we find in Mark 9, verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus, why couldn't we drive it out? 
put yourself in the disciples' shoes, maybe they felt embarrassed. Maybe they felt out of place or envious or hopeless. Now, see, Jesus wouldn't send these people out ill-equipped or without teaching. But they, they came across the situation where maybe this healing is an arrival moment for a few of them or some of them or one of them. And it's like, man, I get to do this. And all of a sudden, it feels like this arrival moment has passed me by. And now I come back and Jesus has kind of picked up the pieces for us or for me in this because I was unable to. It would have been easy for them to feel like they were ill-equipped or for them to feel hopeless or them to feel like, man, I, I thought I made it, but I haven't. But when we think of the disciples, we don't remember them for this short story in Mark chapter 9. And we don't think of them or remember them for a less than fulfilling life. Rather, we remember the disciples for their love and devotion to Jesus. Rather, or, or, no matter how many times that they stumbled or missed the mark or didn't understand the point of a teaching story or a parable or this or that, we don't remember them for their shortcomings, but rather we remember them for their devotion and love to God in that they took the Great Commission and they decided to, to spread God's word to the ends of the earth. We don't remember them for a less than fulfilling life because of one healing that didn't go the way they had hoped. But rather, we remember them for continuing to press through, to engage in life rather than let that set them back. They didn't let life pass them by. And so for many of you, the desire for these arrival moments is deep, it is important, and it is absolutely valid. And the truth of being grounded in presence helps us engage in life as it is happening rather than waiting for something to come. For us to be present in what God's doing now rather than letting life pass us by, hoping that the arrival moment comes one day. It takes us from being passive watchers to active participants in the search for what God is doing right now. It takes us out of fixating on what's not happening in our lives and points our attention to what is currently being fulfilled in our lives. Life doesn't start with arrival moments. Life doesn't start when that job comes. Life doesn't start when that relationship comes. Life doesn't start when that baby comes. But rather, life is happening right now. And if all we do is wait, then we miss out. If all we do is sit on our hands, then man, what a loss. And so as we go into line number three, are you still with me? You're tracking with me. Yes? Yes? Awesome. So we're going to go into line number three, and it is that I've made it on my own. As you sit and you've walked across the stage of graduation, or you've signed that contract, or you sit in that office chair for the first time, you can look around and say, I've made it on my own. And I, I, as I was growing up, I grew up a big fan of Michael Jordan. And so when he was inducted into the, into the Hall of Fame, I couldn't wait to see his speech, to listen to it. And if sports isn't for you, I want you to picture the most advanced and best crocheter in the world, okay? And the one that sells the most on Etsy, or the person that is the prime authority on Pinterest and has the best boards in the world, or maybe it's a, wood, a woodworker or a carpenter or it's an outdoorsman or it's someone who like made it on Naked and Afraid or something, but the best person, the greatest of all time. That is the equivalent of who I'm talking about at this moment. And this person, Michael Jordan, was being honored in this moment where people could celebrate his achievements. 
that he was so good that it's worth giving you 20 minutes to address everyone in the crowd, to celebrate the totality of what you've given to this sport. And as I sat there excitedly waiting, on the other side, I left disappointed. Because what I found is that Michael Jordan spent a majority of his time breaking down and, and settling petty arguments with people that had got, gotten in his way along the path. That it was important enough to him to make a point that he flew out a teammate from high school who made the team over him in varsity his sophomore year and made sure to point out that the coach made a mistake. He made sure to point out certain people who weren't invited to the ceremony because they were wrong. He made a point to point out players who had mistreated him along the, along the path, just so that he could let them know, I'm sitting up here and you're not. I did make it on my own. It's all about me. He did not spend hardly a lick of time honoring or thanking his kids or his family or the trainers that got him there who put in extra work to make sure he was physically fit for all the games he was playing, but rather he stood up here shooting arrows and bullets at the people that he really wanted to settle scores with. And as I looked at that speech, I realized, Michael, you're all up here alone. There's no one here that actually really wants to celebrate you at the moment. And the truth that we find in this lie is gratitude reminds us of the people that got us there. And gratitude reminds us of the people that got us there. There were a lot of posts this week on social media of graduations and promotions and a few students posted pictures with teachers and that were thanking them profusely. And I pulled a couple of them aside and I said, what is this thing that you guys call the walk of gratitude? What is this? This is so cool that you guys would do this. And, and, and the student described it as, well, the school set aside a time for us to go back to our elementary schools and our middle schools and to thank the teachers that got us to where we are now. One of the students said, man, I went back to my elementary school and, and my first grade teacher is now the principal. And for us to re reflect and, and look at our time together, oh my goodness, how incredible. For us to realize that, man, I didn't make it on my own. That I didn't get through biology by myself, but there was a teacher maybe that took an interest in me and helped me along the way. And as I quote and paraphrase the student, she said, I was so ready to be done. I was so ready for my cap and gown and to get out of high school. To be done. Four years are hard. But when I looked back and I remembered all the people that came around me to get me to this point, it was really sweet. It provided a moment for me not to just keep on looking forward, but for me to look back and say, God, there's a lot to be thankful for. I'm here not just because of me, but because there's a lot of people that helped me along the way. And so gratitude reminds us of the people that got us there. And the people remind us that we don't walk through life alone. We don't arrive at these arrival moments in isolation or in a vacuum, but these, and these moments don't just spark out of nowhere but it's usually an ever-growing process, full of relationships with people that have come alongside us to get us to where we are. And gratitude is a fitting way for us to end out this service and to close out our message. Because I imagine when Moj was talking about gratitude, each one of us can think of someone who helped us get to this point. Whether it's in our career, it's someone, a coworker or a supervisor, maybe even your spiritual life. For me, I, when I think about my career, I think about music because that's what I wanted to do. And I immediately think of my band director 
Jim Mazzaferro, who was super, super tough on me. But as a result, I, I was equipped with the skills I have today. When I think of my spiritual life, I think of uh, Jed and Britt shaping us as staff members, as people, over these last five years. Each of, each of us can think about a person who's helped us reach this point. But beyond those people who have helped us reach our goals and achieve our hopes and dreams, there's another figure towards whom we should extend gratitude. And that's God. God is the one who has invited us to come and be a part of new life. God is the one who, before any of us even knew of his existence or were confirmed in our belief in that existence, chose to send his son to reconcile what was broken and to offer us a chance to be saved from the wages of sin. And so as we close out this morning, I'd like to invite the band back up on stage because we are, are, are going to head into another song. We're going to head into another time of worship through music. And we are going to sing a song that praises God for the work that has been done on our behalf. A song that worships God for the power and the vastness of God's strength and seeks to attribute gratitude to the only one who has overcome sin and death. So will you pray with me?